three final non-transferable qualities or characteristics or attributes of God. Number one, or, or number one of the three, but uh, I think this is number, I don't know, 13 or so. I've got these lettered, not numbered. So of, of uh, these, God is light. God is light. Now you're in John chapter 1, and uh, let's read. Well, let's read verse 1 together. And actually, no, you can follow along as I read because you got that hard work of reading coming up. So you follow along as I read. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So just to establish a context, we know here that we're talking about God. All right? Verse 4. In Him, who? The Word and God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now look at verse number uh, 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Wow, every human being is lit by the light of God. God is light. Now, I'll read my definition here as you turn. Group number one, turn to John chapter 8. All right, group number one, John chapter 8. Group number two, 1 John chapter 1. Group number three, Revelation chapter 21. So, group number one, John 8. Group number two, 1 John 1. Group number three, Revelation 21. So here's our explanation of this concept, God is light. You ready? God is the embodiment and the source of all that is light in this universe. Spiritually, physically, morally, mentally, and in every other possible way. God's light is the remedy for every conceivable darkness, and every darkness is the absence of God's light. God is light. Okay? Let's hear that from group number one, John 8, verse number 12. John 8, verse number 12. Ladies, ready? Then spake Jesus... Fantastic. Group number two, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5. 1 John 1, 5. Ready? Go ahead. Very good. And finally, group number three, Revelation 21 and verse number 23. Ready? And the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now, this is talking about the new Jerusalem. This is talking about where what we have waiting for us. And as amazing as our universe is, and yesterday somebody, somebody that I follow on Twitter posted a, you know what a GIF is? Uh, just, it's, it's, a, it's like a clip of a movie that keeps playing over and over again. It was about two minutes long. And it started with, um, 
someplace on the, on the globe, I forget where, and then went to the, and it kept shrinking down until finally we got to see, and at the end of this thing, you got to see the massiveness of our universe. And it went from, you know, planet to star to, uh, to, to galaxy, or to, uh, I'm sorry, to solar system to, to galaxy. And then it showed how the Milky Way galaxy is just one speck among many other galaxies, the same size and bigger. And when you see that, and by the time you get to the end, you realize that there's no way to even see the earth. I mean, the earth is not even the, the point of a needle anymore by that time in this picture. And God is the light of all of that. The sun is, just, is a tool. Can I remind you that in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and then later on he made the sun, the moon, the stars. The sun is just a way that God uses to to govern and control the light and heat and so forth. But he is. He is the light. And so God is light. All right, next. And this is where we touched this morning, both in the opening and in the message this morning. And if I was going to ask you to focus on any one part, especially focus, it would be right here because I want you to get this. God is glorious. Now, we saw in Revelation 21 that it said there's no need of the light because the glory of God lights. So, and by the way, the word glory is glory, G-L-O-W-R-Y. I'm not saying it's spelled that way. I'm saying that's, that's, that's the physical meaning of it, that God glows. But I want to go a different direction that is, is 100% scriptural and just as again there's no way to talk about the glory of God and put it into a six or seven minute segment of a message so I'm going to take one little part and it's along the lines of what we talked about in the beginning and then again in the message this morning and I want you to get this and I hope it blesses your heart Harold Wilmington said this, that here's, here's his definition of God is glorious. He's one of the men that we are following and helping us to understand this systematic theology. He said, God, God is glorious means that God is weighted down with brilliant and dazzling riches, beauty, honor, and fame. He is that splendid and shining one. That's great. That's awesome. I want to go a little bit different direction just as scriptural. All right, so group number one, turn to First Chronicles 29. First Chronicles 29. Group number two, turn to Psalm 148. And group number three, turn to Revelation chapter 4. And then after we've read that and I give a little explanation, we're all going to turn to another passage and consider that together, all right? So group number one is in... 1 Chronicles 29, group number 2 is in Psalm 148, group number 3 is in Revelation 4. God is glorious. Oh, I'm, we're, we're going to go in a different direction than, than light, and we're going to go in, in sort of the same direction that we went this morning. And, and try, to, try to take this in the best you can. I hope this definition will impact 
your relationship with God, okay? 1 Chronicles 29, group 1. Read 1 Chronicles 29 and verse number 11. That's the ladies, 1 Chronicles 29, verse number 11. Ready? Go ahead. Very good. Group number two, you're in Psalm 148. Read Psalm 148, verse number 13. Psalm 148, 13. Go ahead, please. In heaven, in heaven, in heaven. Awesome. Very good. Fantastic. And group number three, Revelation chapter 4. I think you know where we're going. Verse number 11. Revelation 4, verse number 11. Read that, please. Amen. Glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Hallelujah. Now, everybody turn to Philippians chapter number 2. Okay? So, God is glorious. Now, We've already seen in the previous point that God is light. And that's part of God's glory. I mean, that's a huge part of it. But but, but let's touch on a different question, a different aspect. We all say, like the number one answer, what's the purpose of the Christian life? Glorify God. Give, Give God the glory. Well... I just want, to ha- want God to have all the glory. What does that mean? What does Romans 3.23 say about all of us? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? I hope that I'm about to explain it to you in a way that we can comprehend and soak in. I believe God is glorious includes this definition. God alone deserves and evokes. That means pulls out of us. God alone deserves and evokes universal adoration. God alone deserves and evokes universal adoration. Let me break that down for you. Listen carefully, and I'm going to illustrate in a second. All the glory in the universe belongs to God. He, as we said this morning, He is the celebrity. He is the one. That when we see him, when we consider him, we say, all the glory in the universe belongs to God. However, Satan has hijacked God's glory. And when Satan can't get glory for himself, by the way, and I, oh, I, I cannot afford to get off on a rabbit trail here. 
But I want you to be very aware and conscious of the arising in our world right now of glorification for Lucifer. In the, I'm talking about in public opinion. It's, it's scary and weird. Anyway, I, if I go any further, I'm going to be on a, on a bunny trail for a good half an hour, so I'll stop it right there. Okay, where Satan can take the glory for himself, he will, but when he can't, he'll put it in somebody else as long as God doesn't get it. So what is glory? Glory, and only God has universal adoration. Satan has hijacked God's glory. Listen to this. Every element of nature except man longs to give glory to God. Read the description in the book of Psalms about how every element of of nature gives praise to God. Read about, hey, read about how God says in the book, in in, uh, the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, that the land vomited out the people because of their sin. The Canaanites. Why does land vomit people out? Because the land wants to give glory to God. Every element of creation. What do they say next week is is, uh, Palm Sunday we celebrate? What do they say when Jesus came and they cried, Hosanna in the highest? And some critics standing by said, why why, why are they doing that? Because if these did not cry out, the very rocks would cry out. Now we can parse what we think that means, but the, the bottom line is it's because every element of creation except man longs to give glory to God. And we could give other, I I believe if you read Romans, oh boy, I think it's, uh, I forget the chapter now, but it's a very interesting reading. I want to say eight, but part of me wants to say seven, um, where it talks about the creature being sort of held hostage. And I believe there it's talking about non-human beings. In other words, the animals. The creature, the creation around us, everything except humanity, has been held hostage by man's sin because all the rest of creation wants to give glory to God. But they're stuck in a condemned state, a cursed state, actually, a cursed state because of man's sin. You ought to read it and see if you don't get the same idea. So, all glory in the universe belongs to God. Satan has hijacked God's glory. Every element of nature but man longs to give glory to God. Now, if you weren't in the service this morning, this is going to help you. If you were in the service, it will expand on what we talked about. The weird thing is that even though mankind does not long to give glory to God, Because Satan has blinded us. Satan has blinded man from seeing that the glory belongs to God. But man still has a longing to give glory. We have an innate 
desire to give glory, but we've been blinded, so we don't long to give that glory to God, but we long to give it to someone and something. Let me give you three quick examples and then one little bit longer example of what I'm talking about. The quick example, you cannot watch the story of the miracle hockey team of 1980 where a college, U.S. college Olympic team defeated a professional Russian team. You cannot watch that story without getting caught up and going, you don't have to be a sports fan. I don't even like hockey. But you watch it go, Now, yeah, there's some patriotism in there. There's obviously some getting caught up in the story. But I think at the root of it all, the thing that, that evokes the emotion in us is the desire to give glory to something bigger than ourselves. You cannot watch, especially of all the Rocky movies, you can't watch, and I'm not recommending them to you, but you can't watch, and I've seen all the Rocky movies, but I've seen the first one. And when Rocky wins that match, I don't, you don't have to like boxing. You don't have to like uh, the, the, the story, any of it. You cannot help but get caught up in, 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 in that story. You know, and, and he's, he's all bloody, 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 and you go, oh, man, yeah! Why do we do that? Because there's something in us that wants to give glory to something bigger than ourselves. We even know that it's not a true story. Why is that? We can watch something that we know is not a true story. And still we get filled with this, this, oh, something bigger than ourselves. Third small illustration is what we're involved in right now. I am not even going to bring up the Yukon ladies, because I know that was painful for, for folks, and that was hard, and, and, uh, but, so I'll leave that alone. But March Madness. And uh, if you want, there's so many stories, but if you want to see one about the glory, I'll tell you what you need to investigate if you don't know the story. I think it's the, I think it was 1983, North Carolina State. North Carolina State was as big an underdog as South Carolina this was this year. And they made it all the way to the big game. And they were going up against the five slamma jamma of the University of Houston, uh, of Houston, Houston, Akeem Olajuwon. And he was a sophomore in college, and it was just insane. And what it came down to, and they had a super-duper charismatic coach named Jim Valvano, who later died of cancer, just all incredible stories all the way around. And nobody could believe. They, they just thought it was going to be a joke that, the, that, the, the, that Houston was going to just roll over. North Carolina State, but North Carolina stayed in the game, and they stayed in the game until, uh, and so they have the ball at the end. They're down. If, if memory serves correct, they are down. They have to score to win. 
I believe they were down by one point. I was watching it live. I believe they were down by one point. And so they're, they're waiting for the last shot. And the guy's dribbling out like past the three-point line. And, and if you're ever watching these games, you're going, oh, oh yeah, okay, okay, go ahead and make the shot. Well, he's out there, and you're going, okay, it's getting a little, <laughs> it's getting a little. Uh, and then he starts, they almost, the other team almost steals the ball. Don't forget, it's not a tie game. It's not going to overtime. They either win or lose. And I mean, I think with one, maybe two seconds left, he is between the three-point line and half court, and he just throws it up there. And you can tell by the arc it's going to miss the basket. And it's coming down. Here's the basket. Here's the ball. And an NC State player jumps up in the air, grabs the ball out of the air, and with time running out, dunks it. The place goes absolutely insane. Jim Valvano, you have to see it. He's running all over the court like, ah, ah, like out of his mind. He cannot believe what he saw. And unless you're a diehard Houston Cougar fan, you're just going, oh, yeah, oh, oh, that's so good. What is it in us that makes us do that? There's something in every human being that wants to give glory to something bigger than ourselves. Now, if Satan had not blinded us, we would see that it's God that deserves all of that. But we can't see it. Now, let me take a time out and say, and especially before this this is the big illustration, and we're, man, we're running out, and I'm sorry, but I'll make it as quick as I can. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong to get excited about sports. I think we have to keep it in perspective and remember who deserves all the glory. Amen. 2009, last time the Yankees won the World Series. Before you get critical, it was number 27, so, okay. Um. We, we went down, we went, my family, the Kinsman family went down to see the parade. And we got down, I'll make this quick as short as I can, but it really illustrates what I'm talking about. So uh, we, we got up Vesey Street. If you know where Vesey Street is, it comes up uh, off of the World Trade Center. And uh, we pushed as far forward towards Broadway. The parade comes up Broadway. We pushed as far forward as we could. And we got uh, about... 150 feet from Broadway, maybe a little less than that. And we're waiting for the parade because the, the parade, and all you see of the parade is when it passes this building from to this building. Like that. It got so packed in. I have a picture on the, my refrigerator downstairs of Amanda. I took, and of course we all didn't have cameras on our phones yet, uh, so I had a literal camera, and I took a, a picture of, of Amanda, and she looks like she's in a hole looking up because she's surrounded by people, and she's looking at me going, hey, Daddy, and uh, it just um, we were packed in. And so the floats would come, and there were... Depending on who, if they were like lesser-known players, there'd be three of them on a float. If they were like almost the awesome ones, you know, the core four, there'd be two of them on a float. If they were the awesome ones, there'd be one per float. 
But the, 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 you wanted to be cheering for them. You didn't want to wait and, and figure out who they were so that by the time you start cheering their name, they're already passed. Problem was, unless you're, you know, 6'2 or taller, you can't see. So after the first couple of floats, literally, people behind me are going, hey, big man, who's on this float? It was cool. And so I'd look and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd shout out, C.C. Sabathia. They'd start saying, C.C., C.C. And, uh, and then the next one, they, and some guy back here, I'm telling you, every float, hey, big guy, who's on that float? And I'd call out the name and they'd start to, Mariano, and they, they would cheer all the way. It was cool. It was awesome. In case you ever want to see, I have video, I have, I have uh, blackmail worthy video of, of, of a certain lady in our family and her reaction when it was Andy Pettit. Because there's someone in our family who's in love with Andy Pettit and it's not any of my kids, and that's all I'll say. But anyway. <laughs> but, but it was awesome. It was great. Until there came a moment when I was, I was literally ashamed of myself. I, not that I did anything. I was embarrassed to to participate in this. There came a roar like I have never heard in my lifetime. I'm talking about it's the only roar that I've ever, the only sound of human voices that I ever have heard that rivaled what I picture when we stand before Jesus Christ. I'm talking about, I'm in New York City, ground zero's behind me, Broadway's in front of me, and we heard this sound of, this human roar that I can't even describe to you. I didn't record it, but even if I had it, there's no way it would have done justice. It was, and everybody knew who was coming. It was Derek Jeter. And I stopped hearing because all of a sudden I was convicted. And it's not against Derek Jeter. It's no human being is worthy of this level of adoration. I'll be honest, it changed the way I cheered for, for people in general after that. As I realized there's going to come a day when everybody's standing here including Derek Jeter himself, is going to see Jesus Christ. Now, I portrayed it this morning as all in one crowd, and that's sort of the way I picture it, but it may not be like that. It may just be one at a time. It may be both. But here's what we know is going to happen. You're in Philippians 2, verse 10, at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow. And it's saying every knee of things in heaven and every knee of things in earth and every knee of things under the earth. In case you wonder what that means, of things, that's what it means. Every knee shall bow of things in heaven and so forth. And that every tongue, and I think you can go right back through that same list, every tongue of things in heaven, every tongue of things in earth, every tongue of things under the earth, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. 
the Father. See, one day every man's eyes will be opened and we will all see that all the glory belongs to God. Now, this morning I took it a step farther. And in case you weren't in here, I'm going to go ahead and do that again because I, uh, this, is, this has been with me all day. And actually, this, this, I believe the Lord gave this to me yesterday. And it's just been blowing me away again and again. Do you understand this? That for so many billions of people throughout history, the first time they're going to believe that Jesus is God and he's what it's all about is going to be when God opens their eyes at that moment and they go, oh, and their minds are going to be changed. That person that gets red in the face and yells at you and objects and screams and curses and they're going to be before him and their eyes are going to be open and they're going to, and I have to wonder if for just a split second that they're not filled with hope as in, oh, I get it and it's okay, I'm here. But what they're going to hear from him is, you got to go. And just as the great suffering of Jesus, as we said during the Lord's Supper, the great suffering of Jesus was not the whipping and the nailing and the bleeding and the crown of thorns. The great suffering of Jesus was spiritual. The same will be true. The fire will be relatively meaningless compared to you realized he is everything and I'm being dragged out and forced to leave forever. There's the agony. There's the eternal agony. The fire adds insult to injury. God is glorious. Folks, I believe the greatest remedy for lost souls is for us to live our lives giving God the glory that he deserves. And maybe they'll get a glimpse of it before that point comes and it's too late. If we would make God glorious in our lives, in our praise, in how we run things here at church, if we would make God glorious, maybe they'd figure it out sooner. Last one. And we'll make it very fast. Well, I won't even ask you to turn. God, lastly, last, last non-transferable attribute that we'll talk about, God is unique. Now, this is almost like unity, the, the, one of the first points. God is one. But, but this is a little bit different. Unique. God is unique. There is no God like God. There is no God but God. There is no being in existence nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be, who, has even, who is even similar in nature to what God is or who God is. There is no other being who embodies any of God's attributes to any degree. You know, like, there's nobody who's, well, I'm not totally self-existent, but I'm a little bit self-existent. No. There's nobody who's a little bit omnipresent. There's nobody who's a, a little bit omniscient. No. 
There's no other being who embodies any of God's attributes to any degree. And therefore, there is certainly no other being who embodies all of God's attributes. And not only is God unique, but he reserves a unique standard and definition of the word unique. As it is and always will be impossible for there to be any other being like him. Let me give you a few statements of that and we'll close in prayer. Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I am the Lord and beside me there is no savior. Isaiah 45, tell ye and bring them near ye, uh, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Hosea 13, verse 4, last one. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. Thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior but me. God is light. God is glory. God is unique. He's your God. We won't sum up like we do every week. Let's just go to the Lord.